You know, it's been a very interesting morning in the sense that because we've had so much going on in each of the services uh, with new members and things, um, it's been an adjustment because when I prepare a sermon and a message, I kind of have, I've got an internal clock and how much time I have. And, and in both services, the time was greatly reduced for the sermon because so much was going on. I didn't realize it until I was in the middle of it. So I'm kind of mentally scrambling to tie points together and keep everything tight because we have services, you know, lined up and it's the next group's coming in and each service went over. Um, I'm just so thankful. This service, there's nothing coming up afterwards. So, uh, <laughs> so you know these watches you got? I go ahead and take them off and just put them away. No. Yeah, you ever hear the joke? It's the old preacher, the, the preacher that every Sunday would take off his watch and he would put it on the pulpit. And uh, one day a visitor was attending with a friend and, and he saw the preacher put his watch on the pulpit and he said to his friend, he says, preacher puts his watch on the pulpit, what's that mean? And his friend said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I'm teasing you. Um, we, uh, we conclude today in this, uh, this series that we've been in uh, called The Tipping Point. Again, small things that make a big difference. And that image, I didn't talk about the imagery a whole lot, but the idea that sometimes we're kind of teetering on the opportunity um, to move forward. You know, we're teetering on the edge of, of growth and breakthrough in our lives. And sometimes it's just the little things that push us in the, over the edge in, in the best possible sense that move us past that tipping point. And so we, we've talked about that in these uh, last few weeks, and we're going to kind of wrap that sermon series up today. I also want to give you an invitation to what's coming next, because we, we, we immediately are jumping into Lent. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent, and uh, during the, the, the Sundays of Lent, the five Sundays, we're going to start a new series. I'm going to start a new series, and it's called You're Invited. And each week we're going to talk about one of the unique invitations that Jesus gives. We're going to talk about his invitations to come and see, to follow, to go fishing, uh, to deny yourself, and to receive. So those are, that's what's going to come in the season of Lent. But today we're going to finish up with the tipping point. And to do so, we're going to turn our attention to Romans uh, chapter 7, beginning at verse 15. And this is what we read, brothers and sisters. I do not understand what I do. This is Paul's words to the church in Rome. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin, it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. 
Indeed, Lord, we give you thanks for your word, which proclaims the truth of who you are, the truth of your son, Jesus. May your truth speak to us today, challenge us, and move us in faith. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, if you've been here four weeks in a row, then what I'm about to tell you is, is the repetitive phrase that you have heard. If you've been here one or two of the Sundays, you've heard this in each sermon. And if this is your first time here in a month, this is the first time you're hearing this. But this sermon series, the tipping point, has been built on this truth that in our growth and our becoming and in, in, in the fact that it is, I believe, the desire of each one of us in our hearts to, to be just a step better today than we were yesterday in whatever area of our lives that we're feeling called to, to that kind of growth in all those areas. The truth is that if we look at people that we admire, we look at people we respect, we look at people that are examples to us in any aspect of life, or other people look at our life, the truth is that it is the small things that no one sees that lead to the big things that everyone wants. That's what we've talked each week. The small things that no one sees that produce the fruit in our lives that, that become an example or desirable uh, product of who we are that, that other people want or, or in, we see in the lives of others. The small things no one sees that lead to the big things that everyone wants. And so the first week we talked about that thought that is moving us, kind of where we want to go in this coming year that thought for this season of our lives that kind of focuses, focuses us. And two weeks ago, we talked about our thoughts because our lives move in the direction of our dominant thoughts. So what are the thoughts that are driving us? What are the thoughts that, that are moving us or holding us back? Last week, we talked about our words. The, the, the proclamation there was that if we want to change our lives, we've got to change our words. The words that we speak to others, the words that we speak to ourselves. Today, we focus for a few moments on our habits. What are the habits of our lives? Now, all of these fit together. There's not one sermon that's ex mutually exclusive of the other because our words shape, I mean, our thoughts shape our words. Our words shape our habits. And our habits, our practices, the things that we do on a daily basis. Because here's the thing. We are what we do. We, we are what we do. We are, we are known, we are defined, we are evidenced, if you will, by our actions. There was a, a line that framed uh, about a decade ago when they rebooted the, the Batman franchise. If you're a comic book person or you like the comic book movies, I do. I like the Marvel heroes and the, the DC comics. And, and when they, they rebooted the, the Batman franchise and they did the, the first movie there um, with Christian Bale, there was, a, there was a line in that movie that kind of framed the narrative. And the line basically went that was spoken in a few places of dialogue was, um, it's not who we are underneath, but it's what we do that defines us. Not who we are underneath, but what we do that defines us. And there's a lot of truth in that. It is what we do that defines us. Now, I would kind of challenge that a little bit and say that who we are underneath, what no one sees, thoughts, um, beliefs, that's what drives what we do. So those things kind of work together. But the reality is, I mean, the truth is, as we come to this part of the, the series, that, that I, I spoke to you a, a few weeks ago and I, I talked about Tony and me and our, our marriage and, and the fact that we have a, a good, loving marriage. Not perfect, 
But it's a, it's a good marriage, and I'm blessed by that. But, but the truth is, if we want to kind of frame it in, in understanding the importance of habits and what we do, is this. I can, in my mind, think all the most loving, wonderful thoughts about Tony. I can have them, you know, just be at the core of, of, of my thought process. And I can speak really loving words to her, and I can tell her how much I love her, and, and I can express that um, in, in a variety of, of articulate ways. But if I don't show it by what I do, if, if I don't show her acts of love, if I don't live that out in the way I treat her and the way that I respect her and the things that I do, then the, the credibility of my words and credibility of my thoughts is undermined because what she experiences is what I do. And that's true for all aspects of our lives, our relationships. Um, uh, our, we are we're defined by the things that we do. And so we seek to grow and develops in our ha- or develop in our habits and our practices, our disciplines. That's the, I mean, that's the repetitive nature. What do we do every day? Those are our disciplines. Now, Show of hands, a little survey. How many of you consider yourself to be well-disciplined? Okay, there's a few of you. There's a few of you that are raising your hands. You're te- temperate because I know what you're thinking. Well, it depends on what area of my life you're talking about. I, yeah, I get that. But just as a general, if I said as a general rule, how many describe yourself as well-disciplined? Okay, a couple hands. All right, that's good. Middle service, nobody. You know who raised their hand in the middle service? My daughter. Anyway, yeah, I see Julie laughing too. Um, okay, how many of you then consider yourself to be not well-disciplined? All right, how many of you have no clue? All right, there's a few of you that are like, I don't know. I would, if I was sitting there where you are today and taking this kind of informal survey, I'd have put my hand up on the not very well-disciplined because I, 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 I tend to focus, and I think it's human nature, on the things that I know that I just, I just don't do repetitively well and, and habitually well. And, um, and so that's where I would tend to be. And that's been the dominant response in each service. Here's the thing. The reality is, the truth is, that all of us are, are disciplined. We are all well-disciplined. The problem is some of us are disciplined in the wrong areas. This is what I mean. Let's say that your goal, your aspiration, your hope is to start each day to get an early start on the day. You set your alarm for 6.30 every morning, and you say to me, well, I'm not well-disciplined because I never get up in time. In fact, I sleep in for an extra hour after my alarm goes off, so I'm not very well-disciplined. And I would say, no, you're extremely well-disciplined. You're well-disciplined at hitting the snooze button for an hour. <laughs> that's, that's your discipline. If you're the kind of person that knows, and this is, uh, this, is my, this is one of my struggles, it's like I know I should eat healthy. I know I should make smart choices. But every time you go to a restaurant, you find yourself ordering the worst health-conscious meal on the menu, you're disciplined. You're just disciplined in the wrong things. So, so we're all disciplined. The, the challenge for us is are we disciplined in the right ways? Are we focused in on things that, that are far more significant? But really, God calls the totality of who we are. The disciplines of health and, and finances and relationships, that all matters in, in our commitment to follow Christ because Christ calls us as we are to, to discipleship. And that, that means the whole of who we are. So there's no part of our lives that's really outside of spiritual truth. You know, there's a tendency sometimes when I talk about health disciplines or, or financial disciplines to somehow think maybe those are outside the spiritual disciplines. They're not. 
And so, so we're challenged to, to understand how those fit together, how those integrate, and to become better disciplined in our lives, to, to, to become better in our habits and our, and our practices. And, and too often, I mean, just often, maybe not too often, that's just an incredible challenge for us because I, I heard it defined, and I've seen it, and you may have seen this before, that, that discipline is choosing between what you want most and what you want now. You know, choosing between what you want most and what you want now. Now, too many of us, we, we know what we want most, but our lives become dictated by, by choosing in the, the spur of the moment or reacting in the spur of the moment. And, and a lot of times those reactions, those momentary choices, those responses, they leave us scratching our head afterward. They leave us wondering, and why did I fall into that trap again? I know I commit myself to show love to, to Tony and to be a good father to my kids, but why, why am I so hot-headed? Why again do I find myself you know, seeking forgiveness because I didn't handle a situation very well? And why again do I make choices in my own life that don't move me to the places I know God calls me to be that I want to be? And, and when I find myself in those moments, and I imagine you do too, I, I, I'm just incredibly encouraged by these words that Paul writes. Because Paul is a, the spiritual giant of the church. I mean, he is the, the framer of, of two-thirds, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, had more impact on understanding what it meant to look like, what it looked like to follow Jesus uh, than any person, I think, who's ever lived. And so, you know, Paul's like this hero. I mean, first line, like, who do you want to be like as a spiritual giant? Paul's, I mean, that's the guy, or one of them at least. And this is what Paul says, this spiritual giant. He says, verse 15, I do not understand what I do. I want to do what I want to do. I do not do. I do what I hate. And I do what I don't want to do. I mean, can you just see that? He's like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do, and I do it. And he's talking about this same emotion. You know, you can just see him when I have this moment where he's just kind of smacking himself in the head. And I, I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm sincerely thankful for moments of honest reflection that Paul gives us because I know that feeling and you probably know that feeling. And so I'm encouraged that Paul knows that feeling as well. And so he says, I just, you know, basically the paraphrase, I just so often just fail to do what I'm supposed to do or I don't do what I should. And when that happens, he says that when that happens in verse 20, um, verse 20 he says, if I do... What I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. Now, understand, he's not divorcing himself from responsibility. That's not Paul saying, well, it's no big deal, it's sinful, you know, it's just sin, I'm, a, I'm sinful. And so we do this sometimes. We're like, well, God's a God of grace, so let me give God plenty of chances to give me grace. Um, because we, we engage and we kind of excuse our behavior. That's not what Paul's doing. But he is saying that there's something within me that's, that's broken. And it moves me in the opposite directions of which God is calling. It, it pushes me in ways away, in, in directions away from what God desires of me. But he understood very powerfully the truth. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he says, there's just something within me, that sinful nature within me, that keeps me from moving in the right directions to being who God's called me to be. And that would seem awful depressing, except he reminds us of our hope. Verse 24, he writes this, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject 
to death. Or some of it says subject to the laws of sin and death. And this is what he says. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying to us, what he's affirming to us, and that in our lives, in our walks with Christ, that we are incapable on our own, left to our own devices, to being fully who God has called us to be. I'm not saying we're incapable and people that don't follow Jesus don't have really good qualities about their lives. But God desires the fullness in us. And Paul says, in order to overcome that sinful nature, that brokenness in me that pushes me away from the the desire of God, I have to rely not on myself, but on Christ at work within me. I have to. See, this isn't about self-discipline. This is spiritual discipline. This is connecting with God's power at work in each of our lives that begins to frame our lives and our habits. So for us, the question is, and whatever it is in our lives, in a season, and where God's calling us, how do we begin to connect in a unique and intentional way? Because, because it's a very intentional practice that God calls us to. It's not just about wishing us to be um, better friends or better parents or, or more um, financially responsible or more connected with God's presence in our lives, but it takes some intentionality, some response on our part. And so Paul gives us a glimpse at what that means. If you go, and, and I'm just going to reference it, but if you were to go read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 24. He uses this image, as he does in a few places, of a runner who is running a race, of an athlete who's training. He's drawn on imagery of, that would have been familiar to his audience of, of like Greek Olympic games. Uh, in that time, the, there were if, the, the Ithmian Games, and there were other games that were held every two years. And athletes would, would be selected, and they would go for 10 months at a time to the gymnasium where they would train, and they would discipline their bodies, and they would prepare to race. And he says it's like an ath- athlete who, who disciplines himself or herself, who, who subjects their body to the necessary training so that they can win the race. That's the objective. That's what an athlete trains for, so that they can win the race. If you're a football fan and if you've watched ESPN, you know that there's a famous clip of, um, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on his name. It used to be the coach of the Herm Edwards. Somebody said, thank you. Why do we play? We play to win the game. And that's what Paul says. That's what athletes are about. They play to win the game. And they play and they run these races and their prizes. You know what they, they race? You know what the prize was for a winner of the Olympic Games in the early Olympics? A wreath of celery. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, <laughs> that's what they ran for. That's what they ran to win. And he says that their prize fades. I mean, it's temporary. He says, we are called to pursue a prize that is eternal. And what he's saying is we're in it to win it. We're engaged. We need to engage like an athlete with that same mindset to discipline ourselves to win. But winning for us looks different. Now you've got to understand, winning for us in Christ looks different. We're not competing against each other. I don't win if you lose. Uh, my winning isn't defined by beating you necessarily. It's by maximizing the potential that God has called created in me. It is growing into the fullness of Christ's call upon my life. It's very, very different kind of winning because it's not contingent upon anyone else. In fact, I, I was thinking about this in the frame of my own, framework of my own life. 
You know, when I was a child and, and a young man and, and a high schooler, I played football and I played baseball, and success was defined by winning. If we were competing, it was a good day if I beat you. Likewise, it was a bad day if you beat me. didn't matter what the personal stats were. They were important, and I certainly you know, wanted to be good, but, but it was about beating the other person. Now, as I got older and I moved out of that kind of a competitive sports, and, and I've shared with you before that, that years ago, uh, even when my first few years here, I would uh, run short race and short triathlons until my knee kind of betrayed me on that. But I would do, I would do short triathlons. And, and what I loved about triathlons is it reshaped my understanding of what winning was because I was no longer racing to finish first because I was a realist. And, um, and, and there is, there is in, in triathlon racing, and maybe in, in marathons and things too, but there are designations for racers. There's um, FOP, MOP, and BOP. Anybody know what those are? Those who are front of pack, middle of pack, and back of pack. I was back of pack. All right, I was, that's, wh that's where I was. I, I know it's hard to believe this body wasn't built for speed, but take me, <laughs> take me at it. And so, so, and I love the environment because it was such an encouraging thing. I'd be out there running and, and people would be going, they'd be passing me, but they'd be like, you can do it. And they'd encourage me and they, you know, people out there kind of cheering you on. And, and I thought it was simply just because people were really nice until one day I saw a picture of myself running and I thought, oh dear God, they're afraid I'm going to die. That's what it is. <laughs> and, um, but, but here's what I'm getting at. The victory was in finishing. The victory was knowing that when I crossed, it didn't matter how many people were in front of me. I had given everything I had and done the very best that I could. I'd maximized the potential. That was the victory. Paul says in a much more significant way, we're called to maximize the potential through the power of Christ. Victory is being being the most, living into the potential for which God has called you. And we do that by disciplining ourselves. We do that by f intentional focus. Again, it doesn't just happen because we want it to. It may start there. But, you know, a, 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 it's kind of like, I think, um, a goal without a plan is just a dream. Okay, that's without an intentional action on our part to invite Christ in, to, to focus our, our hearts on the power of Christ that's at work within us, uh, we're not going to grow. And so he says we discipline ourselves in that same way so that we can attain the prize. We throw, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we throw off every sin that hinders us. We throw it off like a racer would throw off their garments. You know, the racers in the Greek games, they ran naked. You think they're underdressed now. <laughs> um, but they threw off everything because they didn't want anything that hindered them. Um, nothing to hold them back. So, and that's just probably an image you didn't want, but now there you have. Um, but, but the thing is, he invites us to do that by tapping into the presence of God at work in our lives. So the question becomes, how do we begin to do that? And, and what's the intentionality? Well, we've talked about identifying where you feel God's leading you. What are the, the goals? What's the focal word that's shaping this season? And, and what are the areas in your life that, that you recognize are growth areas for you? As we've talked about in each week, this continuum of 1 to 10. Remember, it's not about being a 10 in everything. But it's about learning that if you're a 3, how to become a 4. And if you're a 5, how to become a 6. How do we, we continue to grow? And for us... It begins with naming what it is that we want. 
what it is in our life that we believe or, or where we believe God's calling us to grow. And it's, it's not just about our own hearts, but where's, where's God calling us in our relationships and in our professional life and in our, in our health and in our spiritual disciplines? What is it that God's burdened our heart with the, the most pressing areas of, of attention for us at this season of our lives? But then, what are you doing to get there? You know, if, if your desire is to be more responsible in your finances, because when we're more responsible in our finances, we're able to give and to, and to use those resources to serve Christ. So if, if that's a call in your life, what are you doing with that? If your goal is, is to be a better parent to your children, what are you doing with that? What are the disciplines and practices of your life that are beginning to allow you to open your heart to the presence of God to shape and mold you in whatever it may be? What's your keystone habit? That's a term I came across in a synopsis of a book called The Power of Habit. What's your keystone habit? The habit, the one or two habits that frame your life right now. And so because I had a head start on you, I started to think through my keystone habit. In, in momentum, I've shared with you, momentum's my word. How do I continue to build and create momentum in my life? And, and attaching that to Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. And it connects me to the power of God that's at work. And I sort of think, what's my keystone habit for this season, for this time, really for the, the, the focus of my, my life? And, and you might think it's something deeply spiritual. It might be something just um, that would seem immediately significant. But here's my keystone habit, 6 a.m. 6 a.m. is my keystone habit. And all that means is I need to be up by 6 a.m. Now you think, well, that's not very spiritual, but it is. Because when my day starts at 6 a.m., the first half an hour of my day is spent in Bible study and prayer. I take that tablet that you see me holding around all the time. I go into the office before I even pour the cup of coffee. And I hit my Bible, and I have a Bible reading plan. And I just, I just read for 15 or 20 minutes, Psalms, Old Testament, New Testament. Do a little journaling, doing a little prayer. That happens from 6 to 6.30. Then the next most important thing that happens is I pour a cup of coffee. And then I go back in. And for the next hour and a half, I work. Dissertation work, sermon work, whatever it is that I need to be done. Because I'm a morning person. Once I'm out of bed, I'm fresher, creative, mentally, and creative in the morning, not later in the day. And so that becomes my time. House is quiet, and I can be productive. Then I'm up. And Tony's up. The kids are up. They're getting ready for school. I can be a part of that. And then they're out, and I have about another hour, and, and what I do with that hour changes. By the time I get into the office, by about 10 o'clock, I've, I've been going for four hours. I can focus on things in the office. In the afternoon, if my schedule allows, I can disconnect and, and try to take care of some physical disciplines that are sorely necessary or sorely lacking in my life. I'll try to go to the gym. The whole idea is, the, the point I'm getting at is, all of these things happen because 6 a.m. happens for me. By the end of the day, I'm tired, but it's good tired because I've been productive. 6 a.m. frames the habits that I need to engage in. If I miss 6 a.m., then I sleep till about 8 a.m. And by the time I get to the office, I haven't done anything. And my spiritual disciplines get pushed aside. I'll catch up with them later. And I don't feel real good about my morning, and I'm grumpier, and I feel more overwhelmed because I haven't connected to God. And by the end of the day, inevitably, I'll look back and go, you know, it just wasn't as good a day as it could have been. 6 a.m., keystone habit. Now, that's mine. That's not necessarily yours. If you're not a morning person, it doesn't have to be 6 a.m. Tony's not a 6 a.m. keystone habit person. She, she does that later in her day. 
what's your habits? That's the question. What is it you want? What is it God's calling you to? And how do you engage in intentional practice to tap into the presence of Christ that is at work within us to help us to grow in the many ways that allow us to be better servants of Christ, better faithful followers of Jesus. Because whether it's words, whether it's thoughts, whether it's be habits, they all circle the core for us, and that's Christ. And we're called by our habits and our lives to recognize the power of Christ that allows us to be more than we can be on our own. So let me leave you this series with this challenge. How are you intentional in all the aspects of your life of growth, of becoming? How are you moving forward in the journey and responding to that invitation of Jesus? In your habits, your words, your thoughts, it doesn't happen just by wishing. It happens by intentional engagement and invitation, inviting Christ into those places in your lives, whatever they may be, that demand your attention, that allow you to become fully, to grow fully into the person Christ has called you to be. Amen? Let's pray. Loving God, you continue to extend the invitation. You intend, continue to call us in faith. Help us to respond to that, but respond with intentionality to create the habits of our lives that are necessary to grow in whatever areas you've placed upon our heart that we need to grow in and recognizing the power of Christ that overcomes that sinful nature within us that would push us further from you. But that's that power of Christ that draws us closer in our lives. Help us to create room for that. We pray now and always in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, friends, I invite you now to stand as we uh, sing our hymn of commitment today, He Leadeth Me.
brothers and sisters, the hand of Christ that extends to us all and invites us to take his hand to follow, be strengthened by his presence and move forward in obedience and faithfulness. Go with that prayer on your heart and by his power at work in your life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.